men that are like, conservatism is the new punk rock. That's the stupidest shit I ever heard. But they do have a point in the fact that mainstream ideology is liberal ideology. And the thing about liberal ideology is unless you buy into it 100%, like if you're 85% into it, you're 15% Republican. You're 15% problematic. I think that's alienating and anti-theological. And also because it's an all or nothing, it's one or the other. We have a dual we're either Democrats or Republicans. We should have a multiple-party system where people can believe all kinds of things. Like, open it up. You know, why Why only have two parties? Why does it have to be so oh, yeah. bifurcated? Why does it have to be one or the I other? Wonder. Why are we so dualistic and we can only have God and the devil? We can only have well, Democrats or Republicans. We can only have evil or good. There's a spectrum. That's a great question. I, I wonder why that is, though. There is something that is so kind of hard for us to get. Yeah, it's, it doesn't all have to be dualistic. Hey, let's let's play this other song you wanted to play. Uh, okay, wait, wait can, I, can I pose one more question? Yeah, please, please. This is from uh, Ash. Uh, corona protests. What do we think of it? What do we think? Co- corona think protests? Uh, <laughs> so I think that this whole situation was actually orchestrated by powers beyond our even not nothing that we can conceptualize is actually this is a test this this what's happening right now i feel like and i'm a wackadoo so i feel like this is a test to see sort of because we we should be worried about strange biological warfare but this is a virus that was concocted to kill that dumb people. So I feel like it's perfect for the United States. Oh, like right. it, it's only person. it's only a problem if you're super obese or have diabetes or did you know 33% of our population is obese? Type 2 diabetes yeah. didn't exist in children until like 1989. It didn't exist. Yeah, there were like so few cases and now kids 9-year-olds are getting diabetes because our diets are terrible. And so is well, because we kind of support it now too. Well, of course, our entire economy is supported by unhealthy food. Like that's everything. Right. Is if you're just regular American, you're how many times a week do you eat fast food? Gross, terrible. It should be like a once a month treat, not an everyday food source. And then oh, like but I, it's cheap. It's cheap, but that's the thing. It's, it's the only option. It's the only option. And so if we are looking, if something outside of us is looking at the world, and we want to get rid of some really horrible people. Like it's the perfect disease, and I, I it's, I, and I'm a, I don't want, I don't want anyone to die ever. I feel like, and I understand, I don't understand. I try not to think. I about want old people to die. I think, I think people that uh, when they've stayed long enough, they can bounce. You well, know, you only get to ride the Ferris wheel for two rotations. That's what you get. That's what everybody gets. Get off. Well, Soylent Green is people, but uh, when, yeah. <laughs> when is, when is your I don't know. I, I also don't think old people should drive. I, I don't drive anymore, but and I can't no. see anything. And I'm like, I... Well, we're I, so obsessed with rights. We're so obsessed with entitlement, with everyone's entitlement to be whatever they want. And I think that's, you know, good to a certain extent. But, I mean, this even goes for, like, the Big is Beautiful campaign. Yes, Big is Beautiful. Uh, and I don't think that anybody, if you're not, if you're healthy enough, that's fine, you know? You shouldn't try to get skinny... Just because you want to be pretty, right? 
specific health issues. I mean, we, what? I, mean, the, we, I don't think that we should ever be condoning something that's unhealthy. If, and if you're if you're chubby, who cares? That's an aesthetic, you know. Like that's it's not it's not about health. I mean, it's not about it's not about aesthetics. It's about health, you know. If you're morbidly obese and it's hurting your own ability to live your, I mean, not to live your life. Because if you you know if you want to be obese, fucking do your own thing. But don't tell people that it's a healthy way to live. If it's not, it's not. being chubby, yeah, it's fine, dude. What the fuck? It's just just because like you know I, you know because like being. I, this is about it's an entitlement to be whatever you want, and whatever it's an, you want to be. It's an entitlement to excess. The thing is that the concept that we have obese people, we have so much food and so much that we have diseases that are caused by overconsumption. Look at hoarders. Dear Lord, they have so much stuff that it's debilitating and changes their lives and becomes a disease. Because of excess, there are people with nothing. There are people in Mexico right now building houses out of old garage doors and right. plastic stuff. And we have diseases that ex- that are purely overconsumptive. That's insane to me. <laughs> right, right, right. And the thing is, though, but like, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is that there's a difference between you are allowed to do this and you are you should be allowed to do this between you should do this, you know? You know, it's yeah. like, it's, 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 what if you said hoarding was beautiful? I, I mean, if you well, think it is, then it's yes, beautiful for the economy. You're for that, but if, you know, if, it is also unhealthy. And to tell people that it is not unhealthy is disingenuous. But it makes you a good American because you consume, consume, consume. You buy, oh, yeah. buy, buy, consume, buy, consume, buy, consume. buy, buy, buy. Marvel movies, Marvel movies, Marvel movies, Marvel movies. Oh, my God. I, you know what? You know what? The, the, if people talk about, not, about hating capitalism all they want, but. As soon as they sell merchandise that's anti-capitalism, we eat it the fuck up <laughs> to validate feminist AF t-shirts. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Just, I, I mean, the fact that you buy shit and, okay, I fucking hate Marvel movies, dog. Fucking well, hate Marvel movies. It's championing mediocrity. Too. I didn't, I, I never, Panther. I couldn't even watch Black Panther the whole way through. I watched the first 15 minutes and I was bored and it made me feel like a bad person and I can't believe I just admitted that on air because it made me sound like a racist and it isn't because it was black, it was just boring. It was 15 minutes yeah, in and I was like, I'm not into this story. Am I supposed to love this story? And people are like, you love Black Panther. And I was like, I couldn't watch it, I'm sorry. The first Black Panther movie, Black Panther movie one is important because of representation. I get that. Black Panther movie two is just weaponizing that same lack of representation for money. I didn't I even know, know there was that. a... I didn't, know they will. I didn't know there was a There's second one. There's be a Mexican panther and a fucking Asian panther. You're just weaponizing people's own lack, the lack of representation that you created to make even more money off this shit. Fuck superhero movies, dog. I don't care. And people that say, oh, you don't like them, it's popular, it makes you Right, but just because it's popular does not mean that it's good at all. Marvel yeah. movies suck dick. Well, no, and... They're all bad. Popularity. You know who wins. Popularity uh, is, I don't, I don't agree with it because it's championing mediocrity. When we say exactly. this is the, the thing that okay, so I have this one rant I love to do. Uh, Sausage Party costs nineteen million dollars to make, and I feel like it's the worst animated movie that ever existed in the history like of it. animation. They open, like they open with a song where they rhyme, fuck with fuck. I just. Couldn't get on board. I was like, oh, rich That's people want to make more money. Look at this. And it was so, the tropes were so like, oh, the falafel and the, blah, 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 what do we have in common? Hummus, blah, the taco and the, anyway, the whole thing was like, ugh. 
but it was $19 million to make. And I always say, you could have given a million dollars to 19 different amazing filmmakers, 19 beautiful, amazing, hilarious, incredible, wonderful films could have been made instead of this piece of dog shit. And right. uh, when I see... Well, here, here's the argument that I love to make, the rant that I love to make about the exact same thing. Mass communication is antithetical to art. Because art is about the relationship between the artist, the art, and the individual. The individual has to turn this object into art, you know? And so once you make it mass communication for as many people to turn it into art, you have to take away the subtlety, you know? Mm-hmm. There's literally no way to make art that is profound to every single person that looks at it. I'm going to disagree and say Star Wars. I'm going to say the first Star Wars. That it was universally popular, but also had for subtlety that people could apply or not apply. It was entertaining to the masses, but also had potentially deeper meaning. It's okay, you can disagree with me. You don't have to love Star Wars like me. It's okay, you don't have to love Star Wars. It's fine. Although Rogue One was the best. I guess the movies... Well, that doesn't count as art as much as it is entertainment. And I think that's what pop is, you know? And I, I think that art can be entertaining, but not all entertainment is art. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and so yes. The, I think that you couldn't necessarily, like, like you can make a, like, the most poetry, for example. There, I don't think there is a single poem that hits, if, like, there's no way to make a mass-produced, commercially popular poetry. Robert Frost. That is any, but that is any, but here's, but here's what I'm going to say about that. That is anything but, like, appeals to identity or you're supposed to like it or is bland enough for everybody to bring their own. You know what? I, I can't defend this point to, as much as I'd like to, so I'm going to just concede defeat. Because <laughs> I, I, you know what? You know what? I, I remember one time, I think I was on Shrooms with I came up with this this idea. And, you know, I still think that I'm right, and I had a really good – I wrote, like, a three-page manifesto on it. And you know what? I just can't access the same information on it as I, as I had. So, you know what? You make two good points. Robert Frost, though, I don't, I don't agree with. Because you can just make something that's, like, bland enough. You, you, can't, you can't make art that's, that's good, great, great art is antithetical to a large release, a mass communication of it, because it has to be specific and profound to the individual. E. E. Robert Cummings. Frost is good. Mm, no, they're both Cummings, a little bit bland. The Wee Balloon Man, Far and Wee. Robert Frost, what is the most famous Robert Frost song? Stopping by stopping Woods on a woods, Snowy Evening. Stopping in the Woods on a Snowy Evening and the two roads diverge in yellow. Yes, right? yes. Both two of those are, in, are blank slates for emotion. I don't mm. think you could ever have, like, I don't think you could ever have a poem that is so, like, specific and subtle and profound be as successful as those. Because it has to, because the best art is very, very individual between the viewer and the thing. And that's why I think that the best music is like indie rock, you know, because it's about your personal relationship with this person, with this thing that is uniquely yours in this unique way that you share it with nobody but yourself. Okay, let me... And let, I guess... Sorry, I, I, can, I can negate you on this with the popularity thing. Stephen King. Amazing fiction, incredibly popular. Uh, totally so personal. It's entertaining. That's entertaining. Entertaining, but there are so many books, and I he writes literature. He has many short stories that are fucking literature, and he has 
a whole, I mean, he's written like 88 novels now, and every, I mean, the, the pantheon of Stephen King is so big, and it's so widely relatable yeah. and accessible and yeah. entertaining, and it's art. It's straight no, up I'm art. Wrong. No, no, I'm totally wrong. I'm totally just disagreeing with myself now because I'm going to bring up a point against myself. Nietzsche. Nietzsche's specific and individual, and yet white men everywhere are like me, Ubermensch, for generations, you know? So I disagree with myself. I have, I have a favorite quote of his. Let me read it for you really quickly. God, okay. this, is my, this is my favorite Nietzsche quote of late. Uh, it's, my dream, a bold sailor, half ship, half hurricane, silent as a butterfly, patient as a falcon. How did it have time and patience today for the weighing of words? Nietzsche was a poet. He was a fucking poet. That goes hard. He was a that poet. That goes so hard. That's he a was fucking a poet. banger. For a 13-year-old me, when I read God is Dead, I was like, when I read uses, I read a, a uses and abuses of history in fifth grade. I had no idea what I was reading, but like when he was all like, "No use for history," I was like, "Fuck, bro! <laughs> the masses really do be cows, huh, bro?" The, Not me though. I mean, the other Nietzsche concept that I love uh, is his concept of the heaviest burden, and he talks about if if a if a, an amazing angel slash devil came to you right now and said that you can live your entire life over forever in infinity, but every single decision and every single choice you've ever made happens in succession over and over for eternity, would you gnash your teeth and weep in horror, or would you say, "Hell yeah, I'm totally down with this," and that's the heaviest burden? Is that is yeah. Is the life that you're living, is it something that you would, is every choice and every decision, every moment, are you willing to relive that in perpetuity forever? Or do you have regret? Mm. And that mm. concept of the heaviest burden threw me into, I was like, ah, mm. ah. That's hard. But That's it's, hard. It's optimistic um, uh, nihilism. Like, mm. and, and I guess Nietzsche's an existentialist, existentialist but a nihilistic... <laughs> They, they they converge. They converge. Camus owes a lot to me. Yes. I, Camus is my man. From the opening line of The Stranger, which I also read in fifth grade because I had a really big I'm smart phase, that shit hit me so hard because fools think that it's like nihil, not, it's not nihilistic. It's not about like nihilism is not sad. Like, right. It's not about everything sucks. It's about like nothing has meaning, make your own meaning. And the fact that people tell me that, like, it's just that, it just proves that, like, you have no idea. You just, you just lack the ability to create your own meaning in life, you know? Well, and sometimes that's, that's the product of indoctrination. That's, of that's optimistic. Indoctrination. It's optimistic nihilism versus cosmic nihilism, where you say cosmic nihilism is like all of us are meaningless. It's all too big. Nothing has meaning. Destroy everything as opposed to optimistic nihilism, which is nothing has meaning, create your own meaning, you are your own yeah. measure for what meaning is, so right. have it or don't. I, don't judge other people's meaning because that's personal to them. You can interact with them and see right. maybe they can bring you meaning as well, but you're still, which is why there is no that's God, because we're God, because we create our own reality. So, And that's an optimistic thing. Down like, I understand tearing out other people's religion when it hurts other people, you know? But, like, 
it doesn't matter that this person believes this thing that is not true. It doesn't matter because they're going to die. It, it, nothing's going to change. You know, if they're happy until they die, then who the fuck cares? Yeah, then what's, what's the problem? It's, yeah. What's the problem? Well, that and being it, said, this all goes back. This all goes back into the thing of like why we judge each other and care so much about how we smash our genitals up. Who cares? Right. Who, but someone's deriving meaning out of whatever. Great. Why do we say your meaning has value? Your meaning doesn't have value. Fuck your meaning. This is wrong. And then, but that, someone must be getting something out of that vilification of whatever. Yeah. There must be something, a, a fear or a truth. It's in defense of your society. You don't want your society to dissolve. You don't want your way of life to dissolve. But in our society now, bro, someone's fucking dude is not going to dissolve the United States. Okay? Even if, like, even if, even for me, I'm an atheist, right? Or I guess, spiritual agnostic, whatever the fuck. Even now, if the United States was all like, we love Trump forever, he's dictator, we're going to be Christian forever, it still wouldn't change how I live my life. Right. And the minute it does, then I would bounce, you know? Yeah. But as long as we maintain a society, I think our society, our government is, is, is disconnected from us as individuals enough for us to be able to practice whatever the fuck we want. So it doesn't even... Well, that's also a very privileged position to have. It's, it's when being American. Out, I, I it's it an entitled, it's entitled perspective. Where would you bounce to if if uh, everybody suddenly was like, Trump's forever dictator, we love him. I would bounce too, but where would you go? France. Oh, France. Well, I mean, I'm moving to England in August, you know, so I mean, that's probably maybe there, but probably France because I love French culture and I don't know. I think that cheese. You, know, you, you only love have cheese. one life, right? Yes, you have to go to the mecca of cheese. Yes, I love cheese. Yeah, I, you, know, you gotta I, I go love, France. I love. Um, I think that I want to live as. I mean, I always want to live as many lives as I possibly can. Which is why that I'm going to try to live as much as I can until I'm like you know 45, right? And then once I'm like 40, whatever, I'm going to move to a foreign country, learn a new language, and just completely start over nice. and be like a cheesemaker or something. So I can live two lives instead of just one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Benjamin Button the fuck out of that. I want to experience it. I, lo- I love it. Are there children playing behind you? I hear some strange... Yeah, I'm next to a, I'm next to the Rio Grande. People are coming out with their rats. Oh, that's so cool. They're not social distancing. They are social distancing. Yeah, they're family. They're so it's family. Like, they're fine. Nah, no they're all... New Mexico's opening up. They're, uh, their jam hands are all in each other's mouths anyways. It's fine. Yeah, and they're so, all in the water, too. So it's like yeah. these liquids are getting exchanged. You're gonna go to Europe. So you'd go to France. I'd uh, I'd move to the Netherlands. I'd I'd go to Amsterdam Ooh. as quickly as possible. Yeah. Oh my Fuck gosh! Yeah, I love it. You've been there. Oh yeah, then. multiple times. I, I love, love Amsterdam, Amsterdam so much. Like, I have I have friends there. I have I love I love anywhere where weed happens is beautiful. And uh, there's but the coolest thing about Amsterdam is you're just walking around whatever, and it's like oh that house was. In 1632. <laughs> like oh it's, my god! Right? <laughs> right? You're That's just what like I love oh. about Europe. Yeah. Dude, I, in 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 England, like I was next to Hadrian's Wall. I was in Chester, England. Hadrian's Wall is right there. There's a there's a fucking building built in the 1500s, and on the bottom floor is the Sephora. <laughs> Oh my God, that's hilarious! Do you have a joke about that? That's a funny no, joke. No, that's it's just an funny. But you know what? And the best thing about it is that's exactly how it fucking should be. You know, 
because every throughout the ages, even in the 1700s, they were probably like some fucking assholes like, oh, building from the 1500s. Look, there's a fucking cobbler. Well, and uh, makeup in the 1700s had lead in it. The the best thing about makeup in the 1700s in France is it was lead-based. So women would get lead poisoning and die even I think that's it. Do you do you know where the um thing saved by the bell? Oh, I lost him. Gone. I lost Aaron Atkins. Well, I'll tell you this one little thing and, and see if he calls back. Um when it, it's a thing called Saved by the Bell and oh there he is. We lost Hi, you, but you sorry. came back. Hi. There was a guy following me and I took out my reflexes and I hung up. Oh, there. Yeah, hey, it happens. So, uh, this is a, a thing. Uh, do you know where Saved by the Bell comes from? The euphemism, the cliche? Oh. So, it comes from the 1700s in England with night watchmen at cemeteries. Because when you'd go to the pub, the glasses were made of lead. And so, they'd be drinking beer at the pub out of lead glasses. And oftentimes, the patrons would die. They wouldn't be dead. They'd just have lead poisoning, right? And so they'd bury them, and they had a bell. They had a string that went down into the coffin. Just in case someone woke up, they'd ring the bell, and that's why there were night watchmen at the cemetery, because they were saved by the bell. Because people were – they found out that people had died, and they'd been trying to get out of the coffin and, and like, scraping their way. There's no way to get out. You're buried underground. You die run out of oxygen at some point. But people would wake up out of their potentially lead-poisoning stupor and be saved by the bell. That's horrifying. You know, it's, 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 it's horrifying how long it took us to figure out that lead was bad for you. Yeah, that lead is bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Even until the 70s, they were putting them in toys that were made in China. And like, tanks. let the babies, let the babies Kids play with would them. die. Oh, no, no. China thing, that happened in the 2000s. Mm. My mom... I remember my mom being furious about that. Yeah. That's in, that, well, that's, that's kind of China for you. I, <laughs> I, I remember being kind of like, I don't know. I, I, also, you know, in China they have this thing called um, um, gutter oil, which is cooking oil that they use for cooking on the street, but it's about a tenth um, sewage, raw sewage in Oof. fat that they cook down and use as cooking oil. Wow. So it's like yeah. petrol. It's like actually dinosaur uh, oil. No, it's poop. It's, it's poop. Raw the thing is, you know, actually, I was talking about this to one of my Indian friends. And I was like, you know, I think maybe in my, you know, honestly, I think I was being kind of culturally insensitive. I was saying, you know, India is a, is a dirty country. My friends that have gone there have said, you know, wow, it's very dirty, sitting in the street. Um, there's not a culture of, there's not a culture of hygiene necessarily. And I was like, you know, why is that? And he said, well, because not necessarily that we're unhygienic, it's just that we're more comfortable with germs than you are in the West. And I was like, oh. Because they're eating more turmeric. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Also, shit is way more flavorful. You can't, you can't, you can't even tell if it has that. Well, and did you know that um, in India, until like, in, up until the 70s, they used cow patties as their main source of fuel for cooking food in the kitchen? So, and even... It's not bad. It's not bad for it, you. No, so I mean, it's... I it, but just grass. using it as a fuel, cow patties, it's got a lot of grass in it, and it, it, it burns slow, and you can cook food on it. So that was one of the things. Also, 
they would use uh, cow dung to, this is crazy, wash their floors. So, but it's, mm, it's not that, that they didn't have actual floors. It was that it's a dirt floor. And the way to clean a dirt floor is to like spread cow poop all over it and then sweep it off. It's from this cookbook mm. I have from the 60s. That makes no sense It makes no sense. I understand sense. peeing. I understand like using urine um, as like a cleanser. Like it's gross to us, but it, I mean, it is ammonia. It's, it's like sterile. It does, yeah. Well, and sterile. they used, um, and, and that's, we've learned a lot of uh, organic farming techniques from Indians, and especially with wheat, because they've been growing that for 4,000 years, and they use cow piss as a natural deterrent for pests, like spider mites and things that eat wheat. So it's like a 4,000-year-old cultivation technology, you know, by the Indians to deal with yeah. weed, and they don't, like, separate the ladies. They've got all of their weed is together, boys and girls. It's all the same, and let the yeah. seeds happen and all that, but they use cow piss like as a natural pesticide. You know, when I was in when I was in treatment, when I was in the desert, our counselor played a prank on us and he was like, You guys know that psychedelic mushrooms grow in cow shit, right? And we were like, What? And so we like we're all digging through cow shit for three months eating mushrooms. And uh, it doesn't psychedelic mushrooms don't grow in shit. We were just eating shit. Oh yeah. that is the worst yeah. prank ever. That's the but worst we April Fools. We treated him like shit. We threw shit at him. One kid threw human shit at him. Yes. And he I, couldn't change. You couldn't leave for like two more weeks. He had to just. I have to send you. Shit. I have to send you my script. Um, camp. It's about five campers that go on a desert hike, a desert awakening, and then die. But um, and see, you could add probably some really great stuff if you actually went through it. I just wrote the story yeah. because a buddy of mine told me that his friend's younger sister died in one of these camps, like hiking Ooh, in the desert. Happened. Yeah, I know. And so that's why I wrote this story, and it's everybody dies, and this guy is like super homophobic, and it, it's just a crazy story. But uh, Have you and, read John, – John Krakauer wrote an amazing uh, article about uh, wilderness therapy programs called Loving Them to Death. Yeah, uh, and yeah, because the people that started them were horribly corrupt, and the whole point – was that they used like the survival as a method to not have to pay for any overhead or resources yeah. for these kids, and many of them died. Yeah, like yeah. something like twelve or thirteen. I was putting that shit, and I didn't find out about that. My parents didn't even know until after I'd gone out of treatment. Yeah. Ridiculous. And it, they just they and they take thousands of dollars from the parents, and they have no food resources, and there's not enough clean water, yeah, and they say general. bury your shit and do this. And yeah, so incredibly low overhead. It's a, you can't you can't trust your son, right? So listen to us, and we'll tell you that he's fucked up and he needs to stay here for six more months for X amount of thousand dollars per right. month. Listen to us; we're the ones you can trust, not your druggy son. Right, and Don't listen to him when he says we're not feeding him; we're feeding him. He's just lying. And and also that once once parents have dealt with, you know, I mean, it's got to be hard. I, I'm trying to be empathetic on the other side. If you yeah, have no, a if you're a parent, a parent and right? you love your child. And you've tried everything, and you've watched intervention, and you're like, I'm not a treatment center. I don't know what to do. I need to trust the professionals. And so you trust professionals, but they're not really professionals. Ugh. Yeah. And then, and but then, they're making so much money. Well, isn't that rehab centers? That the last treatment center had three testers. Who needs three testers? I mean, treatment centers, but, it, but then that's that goes to like, who deserves treatment, and how expensive is it, and is it? 
who do we care? Like that, I have a buddy. I hope that he's still alive. Zach Wiseman, if you're out there, please give us a call. 415-500-0511. And he got hooked on heroin. And he's an amazing human being. But the resources aren't there to help him. And when I talk to his mom and she's like, call the police. Like, I'm not going to call the police on him. Like, what? They're not going to put him into a treatment facility. They're going to put him in jail. And that's not going to help anybody. So yeah, like, where are the resources? Works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's got tough love. But, oh, my God, you cannot count on that as tough love. Some people, they realize they're like, oh, I have a criminal record. I can't get a job now. Cool. Yeah. I'll just do heroin full time. Right. Uh, and But that's the other thing. Of like, when when your situation is unmanageable and the only thing that makes it manageable is this, you know, substance. I get it. I get it why it'd be like, I need this thing because my life is unmanageable without this. And you can't see how to make your life manageable without the help. Like there's no, if there's no support, I'd be like, Everyone hates you. Your parents hate you. Your friends hate you. You hate you. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying on a small thing. Sometimes I do and then I tell myself, I go like, God, I hate you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Stop that diatribe. Stop saying that. There's nothing helpful about me saying I hate myself. There's nothing. And it's taken me many, many years to be able to be like, there is nothing profitable in those thoughts. So how do we switch them? Right. Well, I mean, when I decided I hated myself when I had the job. Oh. I mean, I, well, that's just me, though. I mean, that was recently, that was in Chicago, right before I left. I was like, I got to fucking hate. Yeah, you hate the person you become, and if you didn't hate the person you become, you wouldn't. You wouldn't make the change. change. Yeah, there'd be no impetus for growth. Growth. Yeah. You're so young to have experienced so much growth. Have the pigs made it to the pasture? If you go to Utah, you'll meet a lot of young heroin addicts. Really? A lot of them. Because in Ogden. Because their their lives are unmanageable because they're so Mormon and they they can't express their feelings. Yeah. They push everything down. People already think you're unsavable because you wear like shorts that are above your knees. You know what? I mean, this thing is gonna make me only a little bit worse in the eyes of these people. I'm already unsalvageable in the eyes of these people. So let me do this unsalvageable thing that makes me feel okay about being unsalvageable. Oh. I mean, everybody looks at you with the eyes that your disdainful parents have. Every window is a security camera for the church. And it's the fucking, it's Utah. What else is there to do? You know? Wait, then judge but, other people for their choices. <laughs> yeah. And fucking get fucked up. And I mean, hey, there's, Aaron feels pretty goddamn good, man. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Fun way to spend a, an afternoon. It's a terrible way to spend your life. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm not too into opiates. I'm just really lucky that I took the five weeks of sobriety before COVID so that I wouldn't mm. be drinking as much as, like, a, it's, if I wouldn't have taken the five weeks of sobriety before COVID, I, I don't know what would happen to me. I would be waking up. I wouldn't be as productive as I'm being right now. I'd definitely just be more all the time so I'm, I'm really right. glad that I got the opportunity to sort of put myself on pause before the world was put on pause because that's good without those five weeks I would have been like because I I love drinking because it negates all of my choices like I get to be myself and I am who I am in the moment and I enjoy that and sometimes I black out and I don't remember but when I when 
and I black out and don't remember, I'm absolved of those memories because I don't remember them. So it, it, it's sort of, mm. and because it gives me the excuse to say, eh, I was drunk. And so, but that I've been using for mm. years and I realized that that was a fear of just owning my own decisions. So it's right. easier to have an excuse. So if you drink enough, you have an excuse for any decision you make because you just say, oh, I was so wasted. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. I don't remember it. And then when you don't remember it yourself, it absolves so much regret or guilt or any concept at all because you don't remember. I don't remember. So th that's something that I started working on. Like, why do I feel the need to not own my choices? Why, why would I... It sound weird. I, I really, when I was on heroin, at least, I, I, I was, my problems are tangible. At least my problems are tangible. Because hair, I mean, it takes, it takes, like, I just feel like shit. I don't know why I feel like shit. I just feel like shit. I just hate myself all the time. And at the same time, like, I don't hate myself. Like, I love myself, and I'm too egotistical and self-centered, but I also hate myself. It's these weird, nuanced, all these threads that I have to unravel. Well, hey, at least now my only problem is that I do heroin. <laughs> now I can just now if I just don't do it, I'm fine, you know. So at least they're tangible. Yeah. I it's it's hard also in these crazy times. It's there's so much overt anxiety that to even identify it or let it into my life in any way seems so scary. So I'd rather sort of play around in this hallucinogenic, questionable real world. Like, what is reality? What's going on? Because if I acknowledge this anxiety, it might be too overwhelming for me to deal with. So oh, yeah. I'd rather smooth it over. I didn't even realize I was anxious until it got pointed out to me in treatment, like two weeks into it. Like, I never thought of myself as an anxious person. I just thought, like, I don't know. I, I never, like, it, that, that was the weirdest thing. It was like, I, I, I was paranoid for a little bit. I was like, shit, am I really anxious? Or did I just, like, do I just think so now because someone said I'm Am I anxious you know? or do I just play because anxious I all on of a TV? sudden just realized it. Like, I just realized, it, like, yeah, I spent, like, a whole lifetime worrying about everything. I just, at this point, I spent so much of my life worrying about everything that I like to live in a fantasy dream where I just don't acknowledge it at all because the ignorance truly is bliss. And if I was to lift the cover, pull back the veil on that anxiety, I feel like it would be so overwhelming that I just can't even acknowledge it. What do you mean lift the cover on it? Like find out what? Well, just right now we're in these hugely anxious times. Everyone's wearing Asks things are weird. People on the bus. I'm walking down the street. Guys have their shirt off. People are just selling weed openly. There's, there's tents everywhere. Who can you trust? Who can't you? The where is safety? All of that is for me under sort of. I've thrown a blanket over it. I'm like, Bleh. and if I right. lift up the blanket, like I can't touch oven myself with this much anxiety because it's overwhelming. Of what is really happening with the world? And even starting to wrap my brain about that, it it's not going to be productive for anybody. It's just going oh, yeah. to wind me into a, a, an unmanageable state of anxiety because there's no right. way I can control anything that's happening. I don't know. They're going to open things up. When do we get like when do we get to eat in restaurants again? Like that's the dumbest question. But when do we get to walk around without masks? When do we get to right. freely make decisions for ourselves without 
this enormous fear of dying. And I'm not afraid of dying. I, I, I've been facing my existential void for years. I'm not as scared of dying. But yeah, everyone's no. so scared of dying right now. Why? You're not even going to know it. You're just going to be dead. Exactly. It's over. You're not even going to realize it. You're not going to have anything to regret. It's just over. Just, yeah, exactly. And so... I, I think the reason... I mean, smart people kill themselves at a much higher rate than anybody else. And there's a, I mean, why I think that is is because... And also, I mean, a lot of heroin addicts I met were very intelligent. A lot of them were fucking morons, but a lot of them were very intelligent. And the reason why is because I think they refuse to lie to themselves. They refuse to, like, lead themselves on in a direction that would, in the end, be helpful. Sometimes you have to lie to yourself. Sometimes the truth is not something that you can handle. Uh. Even you, even no matter how intelligent you think you are, even you can't handle the truth. You, know? you can't handle the truth! The truth the truth that maybe you're not special. The truth that maybe <gasps> you're not really gifted. The truth that maybe you won't be successful. The truth that maybe the thing that you've dedicated your life to is not what you're meant to be doing. You are speaking every internal anxiety that I feel all of the time. All of that is that, am, is my existence worthwhile? Like, is my It is worthwhile, output? but not because you're gifted. Because you're a human being like everybody else. That's what I had to learn. I know, it's I mean, a very Buddhist idea that, that it's, it's, the, it's the value we all have as a being that is alive on this particular vibration or plane. And we're all here. Right. And, it's, and it's exasperated by our capitalist society that promotes celebrities and, and, and the magic of someone being gifted at something. And that they're worth following, they're worth caring about because they have this uncanny ability to do something. But, I mean, just because you don't have the uncanny ability to sing doesn't mean that your life is not worth living. And that's what I had to get over. I wanted to be a musician, but I, I'm not a great singer. I can say words, you know. I, I want, but I'm not James Blake. James Blake has a fucking holy shit, you know. Like, like I used to think that my life would only be worth living if I had a voice like James Blake. That's just fucking not true. If you're not gifted, if your IQ is 80, your your life is still worth living and just as valuable as James Blake. Just because he knew tells you otherwise does not mean it's true. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You won't. No one has ever been good enough. No one in the history of all time has literally ever been good enough. Muhammad conquered the entire Arab world, and he's only one of three major religions. You will never be good enough. Jesus was not good enough to get the world to believe him. No, you're ne- you will never be good enough, so get over it and stop trying. Wow, there's some ec- more existential speech from Aaron Atkins. Sorry, I was just, I just finished writing my show today, and I had to do a whole bunch of soul-searching about bullshit, and so I'm in the whole articulate Charles Bukowski mood. No, I hey, I completely understand, especially when your Edinburgh show is, is it going to be Zoom? Are they going to do that no, instead? No, it's not going on in 2020. I mean, I don't know. People are saying the live performances are going to come back for like a year and a half, two years, which so I think crazy. is kind of, I hope not. I, mean, I think the fringe is going to be going on in 2021. They didn't cancel it until like April. So, yeah. well, I mean, nobody knows. I mean, what is even happening? I just, I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around. And but it's not for me. This hasn't been difficult. I, it, to be honest, Mutiny Radio is actually in a better position now than it ever you has been. You were freaking out for a second, though. I was, but then, <laughs> that's right. So at the, beginning of, at the beginning of April, I lost my shit, and then enough people came together that 
we're good until September. And I'm like, what? So that's great. And I'm just going to play it day by day and work things out and see. I don't know. Maybe we'll all be dead next week. Who knows? (laughs) You know, Pam, you know, you know what? I knew we were going to be friends. I knew, I knew that we were going to have some kind of relationship because the first time I went up to Mutiny Radio and I bombed my dick off, I remember it being extra painful because I was like, I know I'm supposed to be involved with this somehow. (laughs) I was like, I know, like, I just messed up this relationship that I am supposed to have. Not even necessarily with you per se, but just like, I was like, this is a, this, this station, this place is something that I was kind of meant to be at least involved with in some capacity. And the fact that I went up there on my dick off in front of my I need dad. to find, do you remember the date? Because I have I all it. of the podcasts. I want to find the old podcast and listen to it. I'm sure I it wasn't as bad as you thought. To it. Uh, it's, it's recorded somewhere. Oh, it's in it's there. It's, it's in, I'm sure it's in Fantastic somewhere. You just have to remember the date and. I'll play it again. I'll listen to it. I don't remember. So many people come through this room, though, that I just don't, not anymore, but they used to. I just, it's so hard to keep people. But every, uh. Motherfuckers are so mean to you, Pam. Motherfuckers are such fucking why. I can't imagine being so bitter as some of the people I see on your Facebook that think (laughs) they're so famous talking about, I'm going to text people three. I'm going to text bookers, tell them not to book you. Who are you? Some fucking comic from Berkeley. I've never heard of you. I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. What the fuck? It's Comedians all... think they're so fucking important. Well, Jesus it, Christ. It they all know goes, a good thing when they got it. It all goes back to the whole idea of who's, are you big? Are you not big? Who cares? Like, I, I, you know, I'm a 45-year-old lady. I've been trying. I love stage time. I've been trying to perform since I was three. And I learned early on that I just might have to create my own stage time. There's no fairy agent that's going to swoop down and scoop anyone out of obscurity and say, you are amazing. So I just started making stage time for myself. and But that's what makes me happy. And if people recognize it globally ever or if – even when, like, the girl you said she's listening, fuck yeah, that's that's enough for me. There's an audience. I mean, I'm – There's an audience. I'm stage time of all that stage time. And so to say that – Fridays at 7 o'clock, we've been doing a show here called Outdoor Comedy. People gather on the street, six feet distance, and we've been doing comedy only with the COVID crew who's been here since the festival so that we're not, like, infecting new people. But it's basically Nathan, Sam, Rachel, Warhol, Hunter. I'm coming. Yeah, I'm hey, coming whenever you get back to San Francisco, like you have a place to stay. You're uh, – you're, uh, if they let you on a plane, you are a hundred percent welcome as long as you're not allergic well, I'm to cats. I'm driving a U-Haul from New Mexico. Perfect. Welcome. I'm going. I'm I'm going through Phoenix. I'm going to see my boy toy. And I'm Woo! going to L.A. I'm going to spend a couple days on the beach, and I'm going to go north. Uh, and and, I, and I'm I'm going to do some comedy, and I'm going to just kick it for a week. And then you know what? I you know what I got. You know how privileged I am. I got a $1,500 flight voucher from American Airlines that expires in, like, two weeks. What? So, I don't know, right? Come yeah, visit. I, I literally, oh, dude. Dude, I just come to San Francisco. Come to San Francisco. You have a place to stay. I'm going to drive to San Francisco. I'm probably going to go to, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Korea or something. I, I literally, I have to spend it or else it's going to be going away. Oh, go it's to $1,500. I can't not spend it, you know? So, exactly. Well, go, know. To, go to Greece then. Oh, my God. Go do free yeah, camping in Greece. Cause you can. I, I don't spend money on vacation. I just go to. I just get a hostel and I walk around. Yeah, so. but on on the island of Telos, you 
it's free camping. A lot you can look up Greek islands and they have free camping. All you need is a tent. You can even have your tent Amazon. You can have your tent Amazon to the bar so that when you get to the bar, you can say, hey, something was sent to me. And then your tent is there and you put it up on the beach. And they have uh, showers and toilets and it's all free. You don't have to, it's not like the United States. You don't have to pay. And they've got, oh my God, go to Greece. If they let you in. I'm going to go to Greece or Korea. I I would say you got. Or Australia. Well, Australia would be great too. I got homies out there too, so I could stay there for free. Yeah. Japan would be like weird. Yeah, Japan's so expensive. Though. Bucks. I might never get this opportunity again. Go to know, go so. to Australia. Go to Australia. Yeah, do it really? next week. Yeah. Oh my god. But it's not exotic enough. I want some place because like I'm never gonna get this opportunity again. You know. If it, if then, it go Poland, go then go to Amsterdam. Fucking India. Then go to Amsterdam. Oh, okay, been there. You have fifteen hundred dollars to go anywhere. I always said like when people say, "Oh, you gonna go to Burning Man again?" and I'd say, "No, if I have fifteen hundred dollars, I'm going to Australia." <laughs> like, what would you? Why would you go to the desert? I, I would, but it's still like a Western culture and still mm-hmm. English speaking. So as cool as it would be, like, it's still first on my list of a place that like is an experience that I could never get other. Than, you know? Yeah. Like India was my first choice, but that's a. It's not gonna get opened up. Sure. Korea is opened up. Japan might open up in time, but Korea is. Go Korea. One of my buddies uh, did teaching. She was a teacher in Korea for three years, and she loved uh-huh. it. Loved it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to. I mean, I, yeah, Korean culture is dope. But I mean, also, I'm. I mean, I'm Chinese, so I'd like to go to China. But now is probably the worst possible time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you have. If everything falls apart, though, you could get a first-class ticket round trip from New Mexico to San Francisco and stay oh, in my trip. house. I'm never coming back here. But, oh, I see. So when you leave, you're leaving. I was like, you've got the yeah, money. Yeah. Go- oh. What? I'm going home, and then I'm, I mean, I'm going to San Francisco regardless. I'm driving okay, back there. I'm going to drop off this desk that I've been carrying with me from Chicago. Um, yeah, I mean, I would want to stay with my parents. But it's like I, they, I just know my mom would like get pissed at me for having like Advil, so I, I, maybe it's better not to. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd like to stay. As I, long I'll stay as for like a week or two. If you're not allergic to cats, you're 100% welcome uh, at my house. And you have to make sure that you're here over a Friday, so that you can do the outdoor COVID comedy. Absolutely, where that's, we, a, that's a sure thing. Yeah, that's a sure. There, because the, I haven't done comedy in. The real audiences. Last week was so good. I was so proud of the podcast. Everyone had really good sets. I had a really good set. I had, I, and I, so I. Sam texted me telling me to go listen. That's how good it was. He said he and Nathan came up with like seven minutes of material. Damn. He did. He had a good set. Uh, everyone did. And every week. And that's the thing is, in the beginning, they were like, why aren't you giving other people opportunities? I'm like, because I don't want more people to come here because I don't want to be accused of gathering. And I was like, don't you want the stage time? Like, you have the opportunity to be the only ones that are allowed to be here. Why not take advantage of it? Why be all like giving at this point? Fucking take it. <laughs> take, take it. it. Yeah. Take people it. just want to complain now. That's how you know you're like in a good position though. People complain to you, they think that you Well, we all have power to change shit. Because of existentialism, nothing has meaning. We create our own meaning yet. Nothing has meaning. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for making this an Are amazing podcast. Yeah, we're gonna listen to it right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna close out with that. Do you have any Do you have oh, any yeah. words to say before we turn this song on about? Um, my name is Aaron Atkins. Follow me on social media at Comedy Bad Boy. Um, www.aaronatkins.net. 
Scotland? <laughs> it is not. Uh, <laughs> I was at, but you can drink hella young, so I was like, kind of what I was doing. Yeah, but, al- alcohol uh, is the it's it's the devil. It's the where it's the most accessible. It's like the most damaging drug. I would say that honestly, if you could do uh, recreational heroin, it is safer than. Drinking, being, like, drinking excessively. But that is, don't quote would me I, on would that. Would I do it? No. <laughs> I actually not. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's some names. I'm just going to say them all in order. I want you to go, mm, like, loudness of, mm, as to how good you think it is. If mm. it's not good, because I'm just going to say them all. I'm just going to say them one after another, right? Mm-hmm. So you just got to give me a reaction on it. There's a couple of them, right? <clears throat> I bet you won't do that again. There's always something. And I didn't learn anything. How to know everything without learning anything. <laughs> That's cute. The other shoe. Somewhere else at all times. Trust the pudding, parentheses, where the truth is. <laughs> Trust the pudding. One of, you like that one? I like that a lot. Because okay. the proof is in I the pudding. <laughs> one of my kinds. Feathers. All flowers in time bend towards the sun. Young sober junkies. As before. Bag of air. Bubble underwater. Independence Day. To that which is yet to come. Now, some of these are just emo, you know? Yeah, that's pretty emo. Ashley says she wants you to be your mom. Wait, she wants she you wants to be you your to mom? Be her mom. That's great. Yeah. Says you're great. Which one do you like the most? Trust the pudding? Yeah, that's where the proof is. Yeah, absolutely. That that or truth or consequences? Well, I think that truth or consequences is more personal, and it's and it's the name of a city where you were, and especially if you mention something like that in it, that's interesting. I, I don't know mm. what pudding jokes you have, or if that's just any. a no pudding joke. It's just, a, it's just an emo title. It's just an ambiguous emo title. Yeah, I mean, I like it only because I like to cook, and I, I like that I like that you turned a cliche on its head, so it's like a joke in itself. And and when you're going to uh, Europe, pudding is any dessert, so you can't have your pudding until you eat your meat. So can't have who doesn't want to eat their meat? Right. right. So the vegan and me talking. But it's I think that that title works really well for Europe, just because of what pudding means to them. Okay. Trust the pudding, that's where the truth is. Yes. Yeah, I got I got a lot of and I just love ambiguous names. My favorite part of songwriting is naming a song something ambiguous as shit. 
because it doesn't even have to mean anything. Because like you've seen old interviews of Bob Dylan where they just like ask him a random question, like, "Hey, so you like making music, huh?" And he's like, "I don't know, man. What is music? What are we? Who are we? What are you, who are you, man? You don't know anything, man. I just I just write songs, man. It's not for you. You know, just being an asshole. You don't have to answer any questions. Kind of do that." Hell yeah. You know, um, we'll, we'll leave with this. Uh, Bob Dylan doesn't let anybody look him in the eye anymore because he is better than everyone else. <laughs> you're he not, is better than everybody else. You're not allowed to look he, him in the he eye. Is, he has to choose if he's going to make eye contact with you because he's such a special human being. Lauren Hill's like that too, but she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Bob Dylan deserves that. Lauren Hill made one record. Made ready or not, and she made miseducation. That's it. Ready or not, That's here I come. Here I you come. Can. You can. I wanna find. I wanna find. Here I am. Oh, she didn't know. Yeah. Well, thank you. Every every ghetto, every city is also uh, a sentimentality for that. There's a sentimentality in a life that I never had. That takes some artistry. Well, but sentimentality isn't necessarily a good thing because that's asking for emotion that you don't reach with the words, you know? Right, but she's making me feel sentimental for a childhood that I didn't Well, then that would be nostalgia. Then you're feeling nostalgia because sentimentality isn't good. Sentimentality is like it's when it's it's cloyingly sweet, when, when you're asking for an emotion that the words or the song doesn't give, right? Like you're... It's sentimental. It's like, oh, but it's not nostalgic or touching. It, it's reaching for an emo- emotion that it doesn't reach, and that's when it becomes sentimentality. But that doesn't sound like something that's sentimental to me. Like, I see what you're saying for sure, but that sounds like something different because sentimentality to me is like the years that I've had. Right, but that's, that's nostalgia. That's, nostalgia is when you – attribute something and remember a time and it has meaning for you and it's a solid meaning whereas sentimentality is like you tried it's like roses are red violets are blue i love you it's sentimental because it's it's asking for love but it doesn't yeah, it's deliver different than how we say sentimental in everyday life though. right that's what's confusing it's sentimental because a souvenir thing that's nostalgic is sentimental or it's nostalgic to you but not to other people Emotion, the words don't reach the other people. Right. Okay. Beautiful. So, Thanks, uh, so this that. last song we're going to close on, um, thanks so much to Aaron Atkins, is uh, Nelly is Dilemma Nelly. featuring Kelly Rowland. Fucking banger, bro. Oh, my God. Nelly goes so hard on this. Well, you're the best. Thank you so much for making this a Thank really you. fun afternoon for me. And uh, I'm really excited that we had listeners and that we got to about all kinds of weird shit. Sorry to my parents. I didn't mean the thing I said about drugs. (laughs) Let's get out some Nelly. Let's get this Kelly Rowland shit going, bro. How much of a chapter lay is there? I sing a lot. Can I rap a lot? Yeah, you could. It's starting right now. Here you go. Mm. Yeah. Welcome to Nellyville. This is where the one I know starts. Oh. 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 Oh.
Wasn't she a Destiny's Child? She was a Destiny's Child, right? No, Kelly Rowland was a Destiny's Child, right? She's the other one. She's like Beyonce and Solange and her, right? Honestly, Pam, I do not know. I think it is. I think she's the third. I think she's the third Destiny's Child. That's crazy. I'm not as big of a of a Kelly Rowland fan as I am as Nelly, who else can rock a bandana on his face? Well, and he's, he's yeah, the piece of tape. He's like, he's like Lisa Left Eye Lopez. He's working it out. Oh. Dude. Hey, Pam, it was amazing. This is amazing. You're amazing. amazing. Thank you so much. Yay. Bye, Aaron. I love See you. you. Bye. Love you too, Pam.
Well, I want to thank the uh, San Francisco choir. So let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube, better known around the world as L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. I'm glad to be here. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. You know, you can find us by that crazy, catchy acronym on your podcast. Uh, we have a Twitter handle, the same, the same handle. Same YouTube channel, fantastic. Uh, and uh, we also have a, a Facebook page called Let's Watch Full Life Movie on YouTube. So we also stream first. This episode premieres on mutinyradio.fm, where we stream first every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to mutinyradio.fm. It will send you to a website called pcrcollective.org. Press the speaker. And you can hear us. And you can, what we do is we watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you. 
and uh, you watch it on YouTube and listen to the podcast at the same time. Carl, what would happen if they listened to just the podcast and not along with the movie? Well, they would not know what we're talking about, reacting to, and speaking for. It would just be ridiculous. The theme of this podcast is you watch the movie and we riff together. Absolutely. We riff together. And, you know, Carl actually takes the extra time to sync old episodes with the full-length movies, feature-length movies. And you can find that on our YouTube channel. Carl, I see there's two new entrees uh, posted since last week's spoken. I see Surf 2, which, as you know, is our favorite movie yeah. from 1984. And I can see my headshot as the screen grab. That photo was taken on September 12, 2001. Because the uh, previous appointment on Tuesday, September 11, 2001, it got, it got canceled. Uh -huh. We got to do it the next day. Yeah. That's me smiling the day after the World uh, Trade Center went down. Gotcha. And then uh, we also have a 1968 revolution, which is a fantastic documentary about the hate ashbury back in the day of the Summer of Love. And speaking of Summer of Love, look at me with a fist and my wedding band. Uh, on an old promotion I did with my good friend Ian Jensen. That's the other guy for our old show, Laugh, Damn It, at 50 Mason, which, of course, no longer exists. All right, well, enough formalities. Uh, Carl, what is the movie this week? We are watching Mr. Billion, 1977. That's what you're going to put in your YouTube search engine, Mr. M-R period Billion, 1977. And the channel we like is called Super B Movies. We love Super B movies. Okay, so I just typed it in, and I hit pause, uh, and I pulled the time clocky thing back to zero, zero, zero. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a countdown, and all of us are going to press it when the countdown king himself, the maestro of descending the world, for <laughs> Sunday afternoon, Carl's man crush, please, let's get rid of Brumbaugh, Paul Brumbaugh. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, guys. How are you doing, Carl and Mike? All right. Doing great quarantine, sheltering in place. There yeah, you go. Man. It's so weird because I'm usually right there with Mike. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, Paul. Yeah, I miss you, buddy. I miss hanging out. If you want to hear more Paul Brumba, you should listen to more Paul Brumba. He is the show that streams right before us on Indie Radio Sundays at noon, and you can find his podcast called The Edge of Insanity. I'm doing all right, Paul. Awesome. And, I, and, yeah, I definitely miss being in the studio. We all love Pam Benjamin. So we got to give a shout-out, of course, to Pam Benjamin, our guardian angel yeah. manager of Mutiny Radio. And uh, give her a shout-out. Go to Venmo and please donate to at Mutiny Radio. Uh, we would like to last for the rest of the year. <clears throat> all right. So, uh, please, Mr. Countdown, count it down. All right, you all right, you guys, you know the drill. Let's do this thing in true style. Let's do this thing in three, two, one, go. Right to right. graduation scene. No credits. Now, you know, you recognize that building, Paul, right? Isn't that 555 California? It is not, is it? In San Francisco. Oh, it's it is San Francisco, That's yes. That's the Trump. That's the Trump slash Microsoft building that used to be the old Towering Inferno. That's right, the Towering Inferno. The they movie? used the plaza for this movie. Although, yeah, although you know the Towering Inferno. Right. 
Yeah, so I was on the 15th floor. So there's the second floor, third floor. Uh, I guess you're not going to see me in this movie. And also the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith. That was the lawyer job he got. It was in 555 right. California. Fuck that building. Triple nickels, as they would call it. Listen, what we missed is the emblem of the financial company slipped off the building and killed the CEO. What a way to go. Yeah. He died by his own logo. So now we have Jackie Gleason, who is number two in the company, reading his last will and testament, expecting to be given control of the company and all the money, but it doesn't go to him. Uh-oh, you can tell by his face. All right. And it goes to what? It goes to Rapscallion. Joe Falcone, his only living relative, a guy who he never met, who never asked him for a penny. Oh, Mont his name is Guido Faldo. Arab American cowboy boots. <laughs> now we have the most 70s music ever. There's Guido. Okay, now Guido is driving a very expensive rich person's car, and that's supposed to give you the impression like he's a rich guy, but he's not at all. He's actually a repairman who fixes those cars. Shit, I, was, I already have a date plan with him, Carl. Why don't you tell me beforehand? <laughs> Shit, Mr. Billion, look at that. That looks like solid billion. Yeah. Mr. Million. He is Mr. Billion. You see how the door opens like a la... Uh, Hello. Like uh, Back to the Future, you know? There he is in his, his jumpsuit. Yeah, he's wearing a space a time travel spacesuit. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. So he's does he speak English in this movie? Yeah, he's good at English and he learned it from watching cowboy movies. You see, this guy's real name is Terrence Hill, and he was very famous for spaghetti westerns in Italy, and he was one of the most famous actors in all of Europe. And so this was the attempt to bring him to an American audience, and it didn't work. I was gonna say, attempt failed, because otherwise it'll be like, oh shit, it's Terrence Hill's American introduction. Right. Tim Pickens and William Winfield. It makes me think of Beckham, who was the greatest soccer player in the world, loved him. He said, came to the United States and people go, eh, whatever. Well, you know, this is the part of the 70s where soccer was mandatory and everything. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, we went to Giant Stadium and saw a soccer game. Oh, how was that? Boring. <laughs> it suckered. Suckered. 1977. Okay, listen, I must step away for game. one second. Michael, please entertain the crowd. I'm very sorry. All right. Hey, Paul, doesn't the nuns look like two penises? Oh, two eyes got swiped away. There's a mangy dog. Paul dropped. I'm sorry about that, dog. too. Oh, Paul dropped? I can handle it. Why don't you go to the bathroom? I'm going to hang out in Italy. Holy shit. My fat ass would not be able to fit through those tiny streets. Look out for the camera, bicyclist. He is one cool hill. Hill. Terrence Hill. He hill. 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 Yeah, see, there's his cowboy motif. 
He sure loves his anonymous cowboys. And how'd you get your wallpaper from Animal Crossing? Cowboy wallpaper? All right, check it out. He's got a TV and a couch. Oh, a chair, TV chair. Hey, Terrence Hill, keep your window open when you take your shirt off. Uh, look at this. This is more of a movie set. I'm, what a beautiful I'm back. house. It was actually barking dogs. I had to let them in. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, let those dogs in. So what's so going Carl on? let the dogs in. We're getting an inside joke, you see, because he is famous for all these cowboy movies. Okay? So right. his character loves cowboy boots and loves cowboy movies. How meta. You know, I never met a humor I didn't like, Carl. <laughs> Look, a German shepherd in Italy, I think he's a little lost. <laughs> he took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. That's the second Mandy dog they had in the street. What kind of Italian town? They got to keep the food away from the dogs. They eat out in the alleyway and they kiss and spaghetti. Oh, that's Lady and the Tramp. I'm sorry. Right. An Italian one. Okay. These are American executives who are here to meet Guido. They're like. Right. Guido Falcone. Guido Falcone. I'm looking for a guy named Guido. Yeah, be careful. Tread lightly. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Guido, <laughs> as you know, is an Italian slur, but nobody in this movie thinks so. They think it's just as a name. Right. Now, I know, like, uh, another... Have you noticed that the word Fredo has been used disparagingly? Like how the president called, I guess, Chris Cuomo Fredo? Like that's an insult because he's <laughs> well, the, I mean, the weaker brother. Yeah, that was a pretty bad insult. Okay, he, so Jackie Gleason has come all the way to Italy pretty much to con Guido and to get him to sign power of attorney papers so that yeah. he can get Guido's money and control of the company. This is crazy. You'd be like, oh, my God, Jackie Gleason, I loved you in Huddy Wooters. Exactly. I still see you have a flower in the bell. You're killing it. He I'm not Jackie Gleason. Flower I in his lapel, call. doesn't he? Yeah, flower in lapel, you know, a classy guy. He's got a handkerchief already in case he needs to sneeze or covered. And he can sneeze away because he doesn't have a full mustache either. He's got that classic uh, Jackie <laughs> Gleason right. little pencil mustache. Now the other guy with him is named Leopold Lacey. He uh, as an you know in the as a character, and he is the third. He's basically Jackie Gleason's right hand. And what's tragic, just to bring you down, is he died of leukemia a month after filming. Ha 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 ha! Yeah, why are you laughing? <laughs> I call it the side of you I'd ever seen. I just because you bummed out when you hear. I mean, the movies you pick are so old. Of course, everyone's dead, but this guy's fresh dead. But you know what? Listen, when we make our movie, National Lampoon's Open Micer, <laughs> remind me not to finish it. I'll let you know the film production because I'll be dead in a month. If, you know, you know. Bingo. Yeah, he never did. They they went to him and they said, "Listen, this movie's going to be a hit. How's the movie? Oh, it's great. It's." Kill it in America. Oh, yeah, let me take a newspaper. No, maybe not today. <laughs> okay, so wow, he just said, everyone, I'm going to America, and they all cheered, you know, and 
uh, he's not falling for Jackie Gleason's sign my power of attorney paper, but he's like, well, how did you learn English? And he said, from watching all these cowboy movies. So now we're going to get a not funny situation in which he pretends he's a cowboy. Well, what kind of, what kind of, the music. Now here comes his co star, the villain. Oh, right on cue. Right. That little kid heard the song and got his. I gotta get my gun, that song's playing. And Jackie Gleason is like, what the F is going on here? He thinks it's so crazy and stupid. Carl, the last time I saw a kid draw a gun on me, it was when I told my kid to go to bed. So it's crazy to see in the movie. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been since last night. That kid's a dead aim. I think he's in trouble. Last time I saw someone draw a gun on me, it was my tattoo artist. <laughs> Bam, he's shot! Yeah. Wasn't that yesterday morning when you got your tattoo? Right. Yeah. But I was wearing no a line. mask. <laughs> he is a shot. Oh, the blood. You know this is a movie because nobody's going to stain their shirt like that. Well, also, there's three fucking tomatoes on a plate. What kind of fucking restaurant is this? It's Italy. You know, hey, it's, I like the tomato plate. If if you are in Europe and you ask for a salad, they don't bring you like some vegetables on a lettuce. They bring you a plate with some vegetables and a knife. Serious. So it's like a whole tomato, say, or like a, a carrot and a peeler? Yeah, it's like no peeler. It's like, yeah, you get like a radish and a carrot and a you know, celery stick <laughs> and and a knife. Uh <laughs> I went out of the house for this. I wore my best mask for this. You know, uh, San Francisco had the same kind of bullshit. They were offering for dessert. There was a restaurant that was offering a pear. And what it was was a pear on a plate. And you got to cut it up or what? Or eat it with your hand. Rip off. What if it's not 100% ripe? Yay, everyone loves this performance. Except for Jackie Gleason. Yeah. And away I go. <laughs> So I saw an interview with the director, and okay. the director's name Jonathan Kaplan, and he had made this very famous, this good movie called White Line Fever. It made a lot of, uh, it was a, a commercial success. It was like a melodrama about truckers, believe it or not. So they get they so the white you, line is what? Yeah, White Line wait, Fever. Break down the so it's not cocaine. It's the line of the uh, in the freeway the when you're driving yep. your truck. Exactly. And they said you could do anything you want. And they, he thought he was sold by this guy's manager. Bringing this guy to America would be perfect. So look, he takes the contract and he's sitting on it. Well, maybe he wants to shit out a signature on it. I guess, no? yes. I guess someone won't see that. So now this maybe is the funeral. Oh, right. Oh, right. For the Falconeer. Right. For the Falconeer. He wanted to so be they buried. They the body. What? Yeah. 
Where did they bring Bonnie on, Coach? You ever had <laughs> yes. uh, this, this is where he's from, his heritage. And he wanted to be buried in this little town, and so that's what they've done. Okay, so now we're getting the setup of the movie, is that you can come to America, to San Francisco, because this is L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, and you sign the papers, but you have to be there by this date at midnight, uh, at at um, 12 noon, okay? All right. Look at the band on his arm. Yeah, he must have had that from the war. Right, that's the war. from the war. But no, this guy should be wearing a bond because leukemia is going to get him in a month. What, this guy right here is leukemia yeah, guy? That's right. That's leukemia guy. Oh, it's probably in him right now, this moment, Mike. <laughs> oh, poor guy. I'm trying to be funny laughing. I mean, it, it was 30-something years ago. Uh, no, it was 40 years ago, right? Right. Well, we think he's a great actor, and uh, we would, our apologies to his family. All right? Okay. Keep, let's trade, go. Let's trade go. Center, Trade Towers, Statue Oh, of there we are. And you know what? When they went down, I uh, next day I got my headshots. And people, you know, like, uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Now, the press going on now? Oh, it's because... It's very, it's a sensational story. He's going to get a billion dollars. So did he agree to do a cross-country chase for this billion dollars, and that's the reason why he's getting press? No. Or is he just stupid? <laughs> what he wanted to do is he wanted to come to America like his ancestors. He wanted to come on the boat arrive and see the Statue of Liberty. Now, you don't go to Ellis Island nowadays, you know, but that's what he wanted, to go to New York uh, and take the journey um, of the grandfather, who, you know, uh, the billionaire. But that's ridiculous. If he has a deadline, why can't he just fly to fucking San Francisco? Excuse my language. Fly to fucking San Francisco, uh, uh, get his money, and then go fly to Ellis Island. Well, that's exactly what he should have done, but that he, no movie, he's a crazy man. He's a. They're asking he's him now. What do you? What do you? What do you want in a wife? Because you're the most eligible bachelor, and we're about to meet uh -huh. Valerie Perrine, who's going to be his love interest. So, did you see that view? Fucking a! Look at that view. Yeah. Actually, when I was living, worked on the fiftieth floor. That was the view I had. I had a cubicle, and I would look out, and I could see Alcatraz Prison. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And we just the saw water. the America building. Yeah, so that is uh, technically the Bank of America building. That's the triple five. That's where we're at right, right now. That's the biggest building in San Francisco previous to the Salesforce building just being built. Uh -huh. They always said that the Transamerica building is bigger. But the Bank of America building, the Falcon Industry building, is bigger than that. And now that we have Salesforce building, that's the biggest building. He's like, can you marry this guy? He's a gold digger. Well, okay. She is a prostitute, and she has been hired to essentially distract. I know what. What? Uh -huh. Distract I know why Guido I know why from making his prostitute. appointment. Ah. 
Now so he's, he's taking a train. Gonna, he's I, not going to fly to San Francisco. He's going to take the train. Yeah, that's like hell on wheels. He might as well be on a Greyhound at this point. Oh, there's Mitch McConnell. There's Mitch McConnell. No, that's once yeah. again William Redfield, a man marked for death. Oh, I love, don't you love it when you get a private car on Amtrak and you have to close the curtains because the paparazzi are on the platform? <laughs> Happens to me all the time. All the time. Please, I am not here to get photos. I'm just taking the sitting on the platform for 40 minutes and the train. He's eating it like the Europeans eat apples. They cut, they pair off the uh, skin first. Exactly. The skin is the best part. Okay, he's just been given $1,000 spending money. Sweet. Yeah. Now, they're going to take this tour together, and William Redfield has got all these, like, tourist sites for him to see on their way. Yeah. Oh, well, so he's just taking a lackadaisical turn. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck is he eating? It looks like uh, snow cone, snowballs from <laughs> Hostess or, like, bad Ikea Swedish meatballs. Now, look. He's he eating? Oh, that's rid of... Oh, there you go, William. R.I.P. He doesn't need a shampoo. Oh, Carl, I oh, so there he is. The he press are coming. Oh, the paparazzi. I wish I had an Italian word for the uh, ongoing massive photographers. Wow, she's... She she's got her own dog. In. Oh, he went into the wrong room. His, his door is blue, and he went to the pink door, which is where the woman was. Now, this is the kind of thing you talk about all the time, Mike. Like, in a movie, like, universe, the wrong room he goes into is, like, coincidentally one of the co-stars. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that the last movie, where there's only six characters, and if there's a seventh, it's going to be connected to the one of the six. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. This guy Look knows about the building, so he's pitching them on expensive watches. Right. That's okay. I got a cell phone. I don't need a watch. So he refuses him. He says, okay, give me $2. So Guido says, here's your $2, and we're going to get a joke watch. Now watch your joke. Pull out a lot of boom. Boing! <laughs> Hey, make, make fun of them, but even a joke watch tells the right time twice a day. Twice a day. That's it. That's the only time I'm relevant, twice a day. Okay, now we hear oh. a woman in distress. Oh, my goodness. It's a rape. Who is that guy? I was chasing him. He goes, hey, come on, I got kids. Is that Dick Miller? The actor? That is Dick Miller. He's no. playing a character called Bernie, and he's basically um, Valerie Perini's, Perrine's uh, partner in, in trapping this guy. Oh, so this is a big con. This is a big con. 
And he's doing mouth-to-mouth, he thinks. Right. And it turns into a kiss. Now, why would you do mouth-to-mouth? She didn't drown. Uh, You know, you're absolutely right. She just, uh, yeah, that's probably not the thing you do. She got conked on the head. Now, these two do not have good movie character at a uh, movie chemistry at all and there's a reason right the, the interview with the director was very revealing um this this uh terence hill was a very proper person and he was very polite and respected ladies or whatever but valerie perrine was a real smut mouth lady and when they first met, the director reports that she said, would you like to see me smoke a cigarette out of my pussy? That was the opening line? That's my opening it, line. It wasn't the opening line, but... Yeah. Well, that is, a, for a gentleman, they must have been a guest. They did not get along, <sighs> you know? Quite frankly, I think that Terrence Hill is very stiff throughout this entire movie, and his accent is yeah. difficult. Uh... Well, you know, he's he's known for with a partner, right, Bud Spencer? I, okay, I, that's yeah. how I know him. The director brings that up, that? and he says it was one of the foolish moves ever. This guy has got a partner in fame, in movies, and they don't bring him along for his debut. It's like Laurel without Hardy. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Well, can I, can I ask where, where people can find that video? The interview? Yeah, sure. Um, if you go to YouTube and you simply put in interview Jonathan Kaplan, it's, it's the only thing that's going to come up. I did find print interviews okay. with Jonathan Kaplan you. and just learned about his other movies, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure he does decent movies. I guess this is a decent movie. It's interesting. There's Dick Miller again. The, um, gonna beat up some good ones. Kaplan went to, uh, and the guy who wrote this movie with Kaplan, uh, Ken Friedman, they went to New York University's film school, which gave us Martin Scorsese. But they're not exactly the same, are they? Well, no, but it's, it's funny you mention that because uh, uh, Roger Corman used to take film students like that. And Dick Miller was in a bunch of uh, Corman movies, like Bucket of Blood. And I think he was in Little Shop of Horrors. But he's in Gremlins, if you remember? He's the neighbor. Uh, he's in hundreds of movies. So it's cool to see him. He passed away recently. Well, I, I got to tell you, you mentioned Roger Corman. It was really Roger Corman who launched launched this director's career. Um, they, you know, Jonathan Kaplan helped Roger Corman on a lot of movies, and he he gave him a shot to direct. Huh? It's a great giving Terrence Hill. Mm-hmm. The Hollywood debut. Oh, cool. Okay, so, so have you ever eaten a What's that? Have oh, yeah, I ever yeah. eaten on a train? You're not I supposed ha- to sit like they're sitting. I have in Europe. How are you supposed to uh, sit? So we took an Amtrak to Seattle. This is, I think they they obviously closed the train. I mean, they stopped. They closed the dining. You're supposed to sit on the same side of the the table. So if there were a couple, they wouldn't face each other. They would sit on the same side, and then the other two chairs would be used for an additional couple. 
that you'd be staring at a stranger while you're eating your meal. Uh-huh. Well, I the trains that I took in Europe, because that's the way you got around. You know, I went from Germany into Paris, and that's the way you got around is on the train or the metro. They, they didn't... They didn't have that. Okay, she just stole the check that he wrote his name on because she's going to get him to sign the power of attorney. She's going to she's going to forge his pain. signature. That's it? No super cool spy equipment? Oh, rip off. <laughs> well, she's not a spy um, at all. Okay, this is a general. He's a colonel, Clayton Winkle. And it's played by a guy named Chill Wills, who was in a million films. Oh, Chill. Right, right. He plays uh, Colonel Buck uh, uh, Bullwinkle. He has a nickname, Bull. Uh, well, it's Colonel Bull Clayton Winkle. T. Winkle. Now, apparently, the colonel is a drunk, and you got to keep alcohol away from this guy so he's sneaking it with the girl bottoms up and his um, handler is going to get very pissed listen what did you call the lady nothing this is not funny he called him her a bitch, and so Guido gets very offended. Very offended. Yeah. And he's Italian, so you know he's offended. Yeah. He, yeah, he used yeah. physical violence, so what you know he's fun. a feminist. I am protecting the honor of this prostitute. Right. But he doesn't know she's a prostitute. He just bumped into her on the train. Right. That's right. They met cute. They met stiff. Now, he's telling this story Sorry. about meeting, uh, what's his name from the FBI? Uh, the guy who launched it, it who cross-dressed and nobody knew it. Yeah, the Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Edgar Hoover. Yeah, yeah, Edgar Hoover. And Edgar Hoover Jay apparently Edgar. gave him these handcuffs, and he's like, I want to give them to you. And so he's going to cuff them, and they're going to go along with it. Yeah. His alcoholism isn't a joke. I, I have to write to, a letter to the kid. Dear Mr. Director Kaplan, I watched your 1977 movie recently, and I was appalled, uh, as it doesn't fit today's standards. Oh, so what's going on now? He's getting a gun pulled? Okay, so a guy shows up and goes, I'm from the FBI. Would you come with me here, please? And Valerie's too smart for that. She goes, he's not from the FBI, and he pulls out a gun. He's kidnapping Guido. Oh. She's going on the right. But the bat, what about the Basset Hound? Well, the, the, reason the reason she has to go is because now they've been cuffed. They're they're a pair, right. and the Basset Hound didn't get cuffed. So that oh, so logically, had the Basset Hound been cuffed with his little adorable Basset Hound paw, he would have to go on a helicopter. Right. So what is to become of oh, yeah. Senor Basset Hound? 
Signore Vasudev. It, wait, is the prostitute from Italy? Oh, look, San Francisco Chronicle, 1976. Wow. Yeah. Look at all that print on there. Now, it's not called Transparent Building. That's this is that is a the Trans America building is behind him. Oh, but it he's, is. I think he's supposed to be he's supposed to be in, he's in the Bank of America building, which is uh, nearby. I see. So I got you. If they use the same interiors that they use for the exterior. Okay, here's the kidnapping demands. Tomorrow morning's mail. Wow, there's a mini station. Right. As to where and when you will deliver one million dollars for his life. If you don't do exactly as the letter directs. Do we understand each other? We understand each other perfectly. There'll be absolutely no trouble. Nice talking to you, Mr. Cutler. Indubitably. Indubitably. So And then you adjust the ball. It, so he says if you call the press, if you call the cops, Guido Falcone dies. So Jackie Gleason immediately goes, call the press, <laughs> call the cops. He stands to inherit a lot of money if Guido Falcone dies. And he goes, wait, get me a bottle of Don Perignon. 69? No, this calls to 62. All is well. Now, away I go. There's a middle, little bit of a joke there, Don Perignon, because when Jackie's Gleason was wife was on set, he was a very professional individual. But the days in which she wasn't on set, he would begin drinking Don Perignon, the expensive stuff, at the beginning of the day, and he would drink it all day long. Yeah. And so he would get really quite drunk. And then, you know, Jonathan Kaplan would say to himself, how's this guy going to do his lines? He can't even walk. So Jonathan Kaplan had a little trick. He would go, are you ready for your scene, chef of the future? And Jackie Gleason would go like, hamana, hamana, hamana. He would call back all the honeymooner stuff. And the, the crew would be That's laughing me. and he would snap into it and do his set, his, do his, his, uh, scene. We, so after the honeymooners, like, I know they did like a, uh, some more episodes, like they did a color special, but he was in a lot of, I mean, he was known in the seventies for the Smokey and the Bandit movies. Yeah. And then I guess in the eighties, uh, the Tom Hanks movie and, uh, uh, the toy. But, you know, it was always great to see Jackie Gleason in anything. He's a skidoo. Have you seen that movie? He takes acid. It's uh, the train wreck film. It's a, it's a well-known train wreck film from Otto Presenger. Well, Presenger. I certainly know Presenger. the toy, and I certainly know uh, the other one you mentioned. What was it? Smokey and the Bandit? Like, it's called Right, and then he was in Smokey and the Bandit. He was in Smoking the Bandit 3, which did not have Burt Reynolds. He chased another young stud. <laughs> yeah. But what was the one you mentioned where he trips on acid? It's called Skidoo. Skidoo. Is, do you recommend I get it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a blast. It's okay. a crazy film, but it, it's funny. 
And it has a lot of hippies in it, too. So, you know. Jackie Gleason. It's a hippie movie. I'll put it in my it's Netflix, a, It's perfect too. for the show. Yeah. But be warned, it's a crazy film. It's not, like, a good film. Oh, But okay. it's worth it. Yeah. Okay, so. Shakespeare and Ape. Look at that. What happens here it's is. What happens here is the the kidnapper thugs. He's like, how much are you getting for kidnapping us? And the one guy blabs and says, $10,000. And he goes, what? What? The guy's getting a million dollars and that's your cut? So he distracts them as they think it over. Like, we've got them. And that's how they escape. And now we have a chase. On a horseback. Yeah, and that's, again, another inside joke to his cowboy movies. Right. These sound like amateur kidnappers, right? It's like, you know, yeah. Okay, now they're going to break their spine, and the horse's spine. Holy shit. Yep. You know, the horse didn't neigh, because he's a little horse. (laughs) That's why he wasn't speak. He didn't have a speaking role. He was a little hoarse. Yeah, right. That's right. Okay. Now, conveniently, there's a pickup truck, and the the keys aren't in this guy's pocket. Apparently, they're um, they're in Where the are car, they? right? So the it's like a dad and his son. Oh, they went on a boat and they left the keys in their car. I can't they realize like Terrence Hill is going to steal their car, their truck. The, probably well, the reason they did up. that it was is it was in the script. Yeah, including the bikers that happened to fly by. Mm-hmm. What a coincidence! There's nobody on this road, so this is not shot in uh, America, right? This has to be like Italy. Actually, yes. And one of the things that frustrated Jackie Gleason, as you know, he was a comedian. And everywhere he went, people would be like, hey, Ralph Cramden. Well, in Italy, nobody knew him. He was very depressed about that, and it would just add to his drinking. Oh, well, like like the late Jackie Gleason needed a reason. He, uh, there's, God, what was the guy's name? He wrote for a Los Angeles newspaper, and he wrote his memoirs. Uh-huh. I saw him first on, like, an E.C. Hollywood story. But he covered Jackie Gleason was doing a show, a variety show for CBS. And to promote it, they did a, a countrywide train trip. Uh-huh. And they launched it in New York, I guess. And young Wayne Newton sang Dunk of Shame. And they uh-huh. hopped board on train. And he writes about just drinking and drinking and drinking with Jackie yeah. Gleason on this train. And Gleason would say, I want Chinese food. And they would pull up at the station. That when the train gets to the station, there's someone waiting with a bag of Chinese food for right. Jackie Gleason. And you get it, and they would just, you know, keep drinking. And it sounded like so much fun. And they would stop at different towns to promote this TV show. So it's strange. You don't really have that anymore. You don't really travel around train stop by train stop promoting, you know, right. that was what, the fat man. Um, people running for president used to do. Yeah, it's like a whistle stop tour. You would right. go to Bumfuck, Arkansas, and then you know. now all the cops uh, come out. Oh, the Abilene Police Department. Oh, what bad luck! If only it was a school bus, a kid didn't draw guns on you. Now this is probably not Italy. This is probably Northern California. 
where they shot was in San Francisco, as you know, but most of it was Sonoma County. Yeah, all right. I could see that. Well, Sonoma County has, like, blue skies and little silly hills, so this looks like uh, Sonoma. But it's supposed to be the middle of America because they're on their train ride, you see. And part of this will be at the Grand Canyon. Oh, cool, like North by Northwest. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Mount Rushmore. That's Mount Rushmore, yeah. Yeah. So now what we're getting uh, there is we interview, like, oh, you must be concerned. Yes, I'm very concerned. <laughs> He's smoking in the lobby during an interview, a classic. 77. Well, I didn't write the will. That's so, the same years as Star Wars. Oh, young Carl, would you like to see Star Wars or Mr. Billion? Mr. Billion, Mom, let's go see Mr. Billion. All right, your call. Your call. <laughs> Look at that flower. Yeah, that flower is the same flower. Italy's finest. Look at those bags under Jackie's eyes. My God, living legend. Okay, now the handcuffs aren't off, but the chain is off. Oh, they have friendship bracelets. Right, now they have friendship bracelets, and he's falling in love. What about her? Oh, she's trying to hook... She's trying to hook him. Now, they thought they got away from the kidnappers, but the main kidnapper showed up with his helicopter. Ooh, that was like an old closing door swipe. Did you see that? Yeah. That's how the scene changed? A la television. Yeah. Oh, that was like a Yeah. Oh, back to the helicopter with you. Man, what's up with the helicopter? Thank God they were in the woods. You can land your helicopter right there. Exactly, and nobody will notice. Right. Like, if you were in Newark, it would be a little bit more difficult. Where were you going to park your helicopter? That's right. You would be oh, to land in uh, Newark, though, because there's no hubcaps. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I've been there, but I believe that's still accurate. Okay, so oh, now Guido fights the the kidnapper, but he kind of forgets that the kidnapper's the pilot. Oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, did he forget he was on a helicopter when he shot the gun? Nobody's no. flying, so Valerie takes the stick and pretty much fucks everything up. Did she play Microsoft uh, Flight Attendant or whatever that called? Uh, no, did she? There was a flight flight simulator. Oh, my son was way into that. For the airplanes, though, not for the choppers. Oh, yeah. Well, this is chopper flight. Uh, chopper simulator. Look at that. Now, they've the got the wrong button. person hanging off, right? It, now, look. Guido goes and saves him. Aw. Yep. And yeah, I don't like when you call him that. touched by that. So those are practical stunts, right? This is not CGI. It's some guy who was dangling from a helicopter. That's right. It's 1977. Everything we're going to see. Now, look, Guido's wow. no pilot, but he certainly knows if you lower the stick gradually, it will go down. And if you land it at a Little League game, there's going to be free Gatorade when you get out. Free Gatorade. <laughs> That's right, fruit punch too. Yeah, there's fruit punch and Gatorade. 
and the and the snack. Oh, now look! For some reason, the chopper is now on fire and will explode. Oh, it's cool! It's does it take away the opponent? Explosion! Nice. There goes the away team. There goes the away team. Okay, so you know, it was ironic. The, William the bad guy's on fire. So once yeah, again, I know he's killing it. He saves them. He saves. Your ass is on fire. Okay. You know, that guy must be a liar. Here's an important plot point. He did it with her jacket, and out of her jacket falls the power of attorney papers, and he realizes she's a crook, or she's a jerk. Now, watch what the director does. All right. I'm watching. Jonathan Kaplan, take it away. There is... Whoa, what a... Right? And she gets covered... In smoke, she disappears. Whoa, because he's a witch, right? right. Oh, no, it's a different she's movie. A witch. <laughs> so now witch. is revealed Valerie's true intentions, and, of course, he will reject her. Right. But meanwhile, about the, the that, that this guy... You know, he defended my honor and punched a guy. He saved the bad guy. He's a good guy. He doesn't deserve to get ripped off. Right. He also should have been told to fly to the West Coast and just go and meet. But he was. He was told he repeatedly by um, uh, by William Redfield, who – and he just – he always what wanted to his way. Right. Yeah. And whatever happened to William Redfield? He uh, died of leukemia about a month after this was shot. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, I'm going to kill you. Look, hey, guys, they're shooting a movie, and uh, they blew up a helicopter for a movie. Come and check it out. Right. They are yeah. hitting the Oh, he's walking, walking away. So this is suburbia, and he's like, goodbyes to you. Now, he didn't die of oh. Eric's disease. He died of leukemia's disease. Right. Wow. So I got to catch a quick spaghetti western before I move forward. Now this is Clementine, the famous western Clementine, where you hear that song from, "Oh My Darling Clementine," and basically Guido's oh. his thoughts together, and it's another nod to his spaghetti westerns. Right, because movie theaters in 1977. Well, we have either My Darling Clementine or Star Wars. Right. Eh, let's do Money Book. That's a proven hit. Now, the movie's over, and it was filled with 12-year-olds. There was no Xbox. Kids back there had to watch old westerns, old 20th century box. It was so old, the 20th century was 1902. Yeah. Now, look at this woman behind who's talking to the stewardess. She's, like, all pissed off. Oh. Oh, look, they get a check? Like a bill? No, the no, no. Gave a bill? That was Guido oh, Falcone's a... signature. But she still has it. For a dollar twenty-five or Jack Daniels on an Amtrak? Right. God. It that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Manhattan. You know, like uh, my friends at school were like, "Did you see Star Wars where they blew up the Death Star?" I said, "No, but do you know Jack Daniels was only a dollar fifty on Amtrak?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? 
Whoa, how'd they do that? No, basically, Guido has wandered into a bar, and now he's meeting a bar fly. He's picking him up. And it will be successful. Well, that's because she has Sally Cutter written on her side as a wing, angel oh, wing. The angel, you're referring to our Meatballs 3 adventure movie? Oh, Kate Magnificent. I love that movie. So he goes, what are you drinking? Jack Daniels. And so she goes, barkeep, Jack Daniels. And then he pays with this huge wad of money. And she's like, just leave the, bo- the, the bottle. Yeah, look at that. The way you flash it. That's not how you do it. Right. He's just an Italian boob, is what the director's trying to say. He's a hayseed. An Italian hayseed. Now, this film was the idea of a guy named Dino De Laurentiis, who was sort of like a manager yeah, type oh for uh, yeah. for uh, Terrence Hill. And he signed John Kaplan because he had seen White Line Fever and thought it was great. He's a, he's a famous, famous, famous producer. I would even say more as famous as Roger Corman. He, of course, produced the uh, King Kong remake that came out in 76. Oh, Dino De Laurentiis did? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was always doing these big kind of big crazy films. So I could see him trying to get Terrence Hill in America to, to work. So she goes, let's go to a party. And he gets there and goes, there's no party. And she goes, I'm the party. And then he gets conked on the head. Oh, that old card. He's never going to find a true woman in this movie. Now, this guy's a famous guy, and I'm so sorry, but my research did not find out who it is. I'm so sorry about that. This is so pixelated right now. He could be Slenderman. I have no clue. (laughs) He could be Mario or Luigi. It's pixelated. It's Mario or Luigi. It's too pixelated for me to figure it out. Yeah, it's probably Mario from the red outfit. That was the giveaway. Now, basically, the guy found him all hurt in the alley, and he had pity on him. And he's like, whoa, a cowboy hat. And he's like, he tells a story of who he got that hat from. Somebody famous, let me see. I go to this redneck bar, go right up to the bar, order myself a double shot. And this big Texan, he comes up to me, and he says, now, if you can drink, as big as you talk, I give you my hat. So they're lined up whiskey from one end of the bar to the other. Must have been about 30 feet away. Pops, you here telling that same old dumb story again? So the son. <laughs> do you recognize his yeah. face? He's a famous person. I know. Is it Terrence Hill? It is not Terrence Hill. Like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. Terrence Hill is in the scene. So he's like, Dad, we stop bringing strangers over and, t- right. and giving them the hat. Exactly. And so Guido is like, well, I will be no more trouble. He's like, why do they have handcuffs on? If you're giving stuff away, give oh, well, it to me, Dad. Wait, did he lose his money, too? They conked him and took his role? He doesn't know it yet, but yes. 
He only knew he got attacked, but he didn't realize someone took his money after he got assaulted. He was unconscious in an alleyway. This guy took him in, and now he's giving away his famous, uh, his you know, l- beloved hat. It's a white hat too. That means he's a good guy, right? Because the the villains they're tipping their hat to all of his westerns is what they're doing. But I I wonder if he starred in actual contemporary films with or without Bud Spencer, like contemporarily set movies. Oh, there's a Greyhound, planes, trains, and automobiles. That's his plan. Get on a bus. It has a Western Union. You get money uh, telegraphed to you. They now, Kaplan that, says right? that the production was difficult in trying to get this film. Everybody wanted a piece of it because of this guy's fame. Now, instead of Valerie Perrine, who wasn't even a thought at the time, he wanted to cast right. Lily Tomlin. Oh, I think that would be fun. That would be a good movie. But she was busy. Incredible Shrinking Woman was probably around that time. No, that was probably early 80s. No, I think you're right. I think that was a 70s film. Uh, I think that, like, um, 9 to 5 was an 80s film. Oh, for sure. I think it, it was 80, to be honest with you. And wow, I this think guy is sweatier than me with Steve Martin was an 80s film. She was big in the 80s, but the 70s is really... She used to be a comedian, and she would sit in that big chair and pretend to be a baby. She was funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's in Laughing too, of course. I mean, I was right, but she had a big. I wonder what her Broadway play was. That was probably the eighties. Search for Intelligent, whatever it was called. I love oh, this. More and more she was in called I Heart Huckleberries. Yeah. Oh, she was fantastic in that movie. Yeah. You know, I, Carl, I have to tell you, uh, her and the, the director had it was not very professional. And there is recordings of him going off on Lily Tomlin during the production. And she handles it really well. Wow. You know, she gives gives back what he gives. But he's just screaming in her face this awful stuff. And she handles it pretty well. But that's that's out there, too. So if you like the movie, you should check out that scene. If you like Celebrity Trainwrecks, you should check out that scene anyway, right? (laughs) Don't watch the movie. Just see the, the garbage connected to it. Now we're meeting Slim yeah, I like Pickens. I know who Slim Pickens is. Wow, he already punched him out. Right. Now we know him as the Bombardier in How I Love the Learn to Love the Bomb. Uh, uh, yeah, right, right, right. He was in uh, Into the Night, the Dan Aykroyd movie, and he mm-hmm. kills a. Uh, I think David Bowie kills him. Like, they're both hitmen or something like that. And I was like, whoa, that's yeah. symbolic. Now, of course, he's doing his typical uh, accent and, like, pretending right. to be the biggest hick ever. What music is playing? Is it Yakety Sack? It's uh, Fight Sack. Whoa, he grabs him by the balls. And I'm sure that they're trying to once again do a, you know, cowboy bar fight kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Well, it is a comedy, and he's been in the bar for two minutes, so there's going to be a fight. Now, the sh- the cops show up, and you see there, there are cops in the bar, and he's like, I would like to speak with you in my office later, officer. <laughs> I can't believe they're punching cops. That's pretty brazen. 
Yeah. That's probably privilege right there. You can get away yeah, with it. This is R.G. Armstrong, right. and he's a pretty famous actor. Way to go. He's an idiot cop, though. Way to shoot this a sign. That's right. Well, it's... Did you it's, hear that? It's supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> they just said it to him. I, I heard it. Please don't get office later. <laughs> Chew and chop. Oh, that was cool. The Soto Cab. That's San Francisco. Tap, 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 t